Welcome to the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine. UX introduces a simple formula for personal and business growth based around one principle. We can't solve big, valuable problems alone. Starting with this principle, UX equips and empowers us to pour ourselves into people and systems, scale authentically, and create a life of exponential freedom and impact. And now, let's get started with the latest episode of the UX Podcast. Hey, what's up, rock stars? It's Matt Johnson here. We are back with another fantastic, phenomenal, something phenomenal. Uh, I'm just going to make up a word. Phenomenal conversation uh, today with uh, with Rebecca Geyer. Uh, She is the founder and CEO of Rive. And she is, uh, man, she's got 30 years of global marketing experience uh, named at at one point by the Wall Street Journal as among the 10 most innovative entrepreneurs in America. She was formerly the CEO of True Marketing, T R E W Marketing, which is an agency that she founded in 08. And uh, she also is the author of the book Smart Marketing for Engineers, an inbound marketing guide to reaching technical audiences. And that's what really uh, attracted me to Rebecca and what she's done is that she, in her old marketing agency that she used to run, uh, they specialize themselves very, very specifically within the engineering field, right? So they looked at the landscape of all the things they could do and all the clients that they could serve. And they really drilled down and found out, hey, we're really good at serving this audience. Now let's go all in on that, which is part of where the idea for the book that she eventually wrote came from, Smart Marketing for Engineers, right? So right in the title, it actually tells you exactly what she does and who the ideal client is. Uh, Incidentally, we do that a lot for our podcast clients, right? Help them craft a podcast where even if somebody just encounters the title of the show, you are instantly positioned as the expert and people know what you do and who you do it for simply by looking at the title of your podcast. And that's exactly what Rebecca did with her book. Now she's moved on and is now advising and and has kind of entered the world of independent coaching and consulting, which I love that world. And so we got into a bunch of fun stuff. So some of the things that we covered, number one, why Southwest only flies one type of airplane and what in the world we should learn from that. Uh, We talk about how to uncover your three uniques and go all in on them, right? So you're not scattering your efforts and your time and your energy among a bunch of different things that you could be doing. And then we also talk about, you know, when do you make those exceptions, right? If you have a very focused brand in the marketplace and somebody comes along and essentially says, hey, uh, I don't really fit your ideal client profile, but I want to throw money at you because I know you can do what I need done. So Rebecca goes into when do you take the money, right? And how do you take the money? How do you take that business that falls outside of your focus while keeping your public brand very focused. Uh, So this is just an absolutely phenomenal conversation. Uh, I'm super excited for you to hear because it falls directly in line with what we talk about on the show about UX, right? You to the power of X. In other words, taking your unique skills, abilities, and attributes and building a business around them that amplifies them and partners with other people that have their own set of X factors so that together we solve a big valuable problem. And that's exactly what Rebecca found out how to do with her marketing firm, her agency that she founded, and now is doing as a coach and consultant to others that are out there in the entrepreneurial world. So without further ado, let's jump in with Rebecca Geyer. She is the founder and CEO of Rive. And Rebecca, officially welcome to the UX podcast. 
Thank you so much. I'm psyched to be here. I know. I'm really excited to have you uh, on the show. We've had a, a little bit of a connection, like just getting on getting on an interview together. Last time we were on, we had some Wi-Fi issues and we had to reschedule. So I'm, I'm really pumped for the conversation. Uh, just because you've gone through a transition, which I mentioned in the intro, uh, what do you tell people? I mean, what, what do you actually describe, like what you do on a daily basis now versus what you used to do? Yeah. So, you know, continuing with my passion, I've, I've always been passionate about advising engineering executives and um, I've been doing it for 30 years. And so I really founded Rive with the sole purpose of, you know, fulfilling that passion. And um, it's, it's interesting it, starting, uh, this is the second business that I've started and I'm a fairly risk averse person. So <laughs> it's a little contradictory to my personality, but, uh, but I'm excited. I'm excited. Definitely. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Definitely, yeah. Definitely uh, building on this, on the, all the lessons I've learned from, uh, from the first company. So. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah. yeah. And I, w- I wouldn't have guessed, I mean, you're, you know, I mentioned it in the interview, one of the top 10 most innovative entrepreneurs in America. I would have never guessed that this is just now, your second company, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I, I like I can look back on on some of the things that I've learned, and I can already see things that I would have done differently. And if I move on to a different company, there's a lot that I would apply, which I think is what we're going to end up talking about. It is. So let's uh, let's jump in. Um, okay. You're you're very very um, very focused. Yeah. And the marketing company that you started was very focused. In fact, yeah. the book that you wrote that promoted the marketing company was a, was about that topic and was in it of itself very focused. How did you come to that? And why do you feel so strongly about that when most agencies try to serve everybody? Yeah. So, you know, this is a lot of times when I'm coaching people, I, I'm often sharing what I call my three big wisdoms. And, and this is the very first one. And, and it's really, you know, it's the three big wisdoms have been key to driving my own personal success in the companies that I've worked for, founded, uh, and, and lead. This first one, this define your niche, what I'll, I'll say, define your niche and be all in. And, and it's really about thinking about, and especially for business owners who are, are entrepreneurs starting a new business, what are you expert in? What do you love to do? And what can you be profitable at? Yeah. And that's that really critical third part. So, you know, I first heard this when I was at an enterprise uh, company uh, here in Austin called National Instruments. And it was, we talked about dominating our niche. And this was central to their vision of, of um, using the personal computer and today in all of its modern forms to drive very high performance, high value instrumentation. If you look at companies like Southwest Airlines, a lot of people don't realize they, they fly one type of aircraft, mm. even to this day. Yep. They're the most profitable, respected, and loved airline. And so at the agency you talked about that I co-founded, about 10 years ago, true marketing, defining our niche became a point of survival uh, coming out of the 2009 recession. You know, we're talking about or, or kind of really thinking about so we had very little revenue mm-hmm. and we're like, how can we how can we possibly compete in this market full of hundreds or thousands of agencies that are very smart, doing excellent work and and have been established long before us. And so that was really what led to our vision, our tagline with the title of my book, which is Smart Marketing for Engineers. And, and it's what I talk about in the first chapter of my book, which is Say No to Grow, um, which so is good. you have to read the chapter to kind of get the sense of, of that. But uh, so at Rive now in my consulting business, I had to think again about this. What am I expert in? What do I love to do? And how can I be profitable? 
and um, and and knowing your three uniques and and really building out your brand position and messages. That's the really um, that's that's the building blocks of figuring that out. And I actually have an example on my uh, website that I actually use it as an example. My own brand position for Rive, and it's right there on the About Rive page. So. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I love the say no to grow because it's a great way of of saying something that I was just reading about again the other day. Um, which is uh, sacrifice is the essence of, of strategy, especially when it comes to marketing. And I think that's really what most of us struggle with. It's the sacrifice. Yeah. part. Yeah, it's really true. And it's, you know, I talk about this in the book that it's really, it's really scary, especially for services companies, because you want to keep yourself billable. You want to keep your team billable. And so the idea of saying no is really scary because that's turning away a potential billable capacity that can help you meet your profitability goal. But the thing is, if you if you're always saying yes to whatever comes, you're you're just you're you're everything to everyone, which is nothing to no one, right? No. You're not really you're not really in control of your own destiny. So by really defining your niche and and pricing, we don't have time to get into this today really, but pricing really plays a part of it. And I, I give a, a good example in the book about, um, you know, the, the auto mechanic that is works on every possible car versus the auto mechanic that works only on very high-end, say, German high-performance sports cars. Well, that's all they do. Their staff is trained. Their bays are fully equipped just for that car. They can be a lot more efficient with their time and they can also charge a higher price because yep. they're perceived as experts. It's exact same with Southwest Airlines. They fly one plane and everyone in the entire company is trained on that one plane. So think of the efficiency. So the profitability comes in both sides. It comes on the efficiency side and it comes on the pricing side. Yeah, I, I love it, um, and it's something we definitely talk about on the show. And it's it's it always it's it's it exposes, I guess, uh, the fear, right? Which is the you've got the people that are that are coming into your world, and they're not all the right fit, but they're right in front of you. They have names, they have faces. It's Absolutely. really hard to turn that down in favor of the people who you don't know yet, you haven't met them yet. Now they're out there. But yeah. yeah, I think that's where we really struggle is like, this is, look, this is right in front of me and I have staff to pay. Yeah. yeah. So here's my tip on that. And I'm, okay. I'm so glad I did this because I actually have a footnote in chapter one of my book that specifically says this because this comes up all the time. Okay. So there's, 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 um, see how to describe. So there's your, your brand, your public brand position and your message. There's a homepage of your website. There's what you're blogging about. Yeah. There's the position that you're making very clear and defined of what you're all in on. Now that's really key, but it takes a long time to build that up and to build a, a business that can sustain in just that niche. So have your publicly defined brand and position, but you know, if you've got some extra capacity, you need, you know, you've got someone that's ready to pay you right there. Go ahead and take the business if it makes sense for you in that time. But just because that's just a smart thing to do. That's just a rational, you know, that's just good business. It's cash in the bank. You've got someone you've got that's ready to write you a check. You've, um, you know, you've got capacity in your own time, your team's time. You know, by all means, take the business if you, if it's something that, 
you know, you think you can do and do effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, but over time, as you get more and more business that's within your niche, you'll be able to say no more and more to that more distracting, less, mm-hmm. uh, you know, less focused uh, mm-hmm. business that, that, that doesn't uh, meet your focus as much. So. Yeah, and it's, so it's less focused and a little less profitable, especially in the long run as, as better opportunities come along. But it, it, that is one thing that I think helps people overcome the fear. It yeah. is very clear about what your niche is. Yeah. Yes, it will repel certain people that won't reach out to you. But then there's a whole other group of people that are just outside that niche. They aren't yeah. quite the perfect fit, but they'll still reach out. They'll go, hey, I know you don't usually do this, but right. you know, could you make an exception to me? And that puts you in an entirely different position than chasing everyone and everybody feels like they're your target customer, which they're really not. Um, right. Yeah, it, just, it puts you in a completely different psychological position. It really does. And that's the key. The psychological position, you, you nailed it because the whole point is over time that you get in more and more control of your own destiny mm-hmm. and that you're doing what you love and what you're passionate about. And if what you're doing, if you're doing mostly, if most of your time spent working is on what you're passionate about and what you love, you're going to, you're going to do great at it yeah. and you're going to be able to, to charge more because that's what you're expert in. Yeah, that's really good. More, more control over your destiny over time. Over time. And and that's having the patience to build that. Yeah, that's 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 a key skill. I, I you know uh, that anybody that's listening that that's kind of in their first business probably is kicking themselves now, <laughs> looking like I am, looking back and going, yeah. man, I wish I would have had the foresight to do that the first time around. All right, so let's talk about yeah. the uh, the second big wisdom. Yeah. So the second big wisdom is then, okay, so you've got this, you know, position and you, you know, you're going to dominate and you're going to be all in, but now you've got a, it's kind of the, where the rubber meets the road in terms of having very clearly defined objectives and a reliable and easy process to know at any point if you're on track or off, off track. This is not rocket science, but it's, it's amazing how often, you know, business leaders and, um, and business owners don't stay focused on what is the objective and how am I going to measure that I'm making progress and how do I keep myself and my team focused on the objective so that I don't get distracted by the shiny, you know, the, the shiny, uh, you know, something shiny that is just outside of my periphery. So, so for us at True and, and or for the team at True, what we did at True and what I've done with several other clients since then is... Um, use either the entrepreneurial operating system that is explained in traction or get a grip or some version of it. You don't have to take it all, depending on the size of your company, it may not all make sense. But what I love about EOS is the spirit of it is at the end of the day, it's all about creating clearly defined objectives and having a system to keep the business on track to achieving the highest priority objectives first. So um, you know, I love the idea or the kind of the visual of if you have a, a vase and, and you put all the small pebbles in first, there's no room for the big, you know, for the big rocks. <laughs> but if you put the big rocks in first and then you put the smaller rocks and then you put the pebbles in, mm-hmm. then you, you have room for everything. And that's really, you know, that's really the spirit of it. So, you know, I remember when I was at NI and uh, National Instruments, I was there for a, a long time through the early 90s and into the mid-2000s. And, 
I remember when the leadership team introduced a new process for defining and measuring business goals, and there were only five. This is now a, I don't, this has been a few years, so they might have mm -hmm. tweaked how they do it. But think of a, a billion dollar company with five goals. They were short, they were succinct, and they were measurable. And everyone mm -hmm. in the company knew them. There were sub teams built around them, and they literally brought focus to hundreds of people from yeah. you know R and D to marketing to sales, and and I and so I think whether you're an enterprise company and you're in a you're in a, a business leadership position over a, you know your own your own P and L or your own team, or you're literally like myself you know starting a brand new consulting business, really thinking about what. What is your brand position message? What are the objectives? And how are you going to simply measure them? And really staying true to that, that's, that's such a key to, that I found to success. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and I see a lot of people implementing EOS and, and having radical effects. It usually takes, you know, six months to really start to see it show up. Although you can see it, if you're the leader, you can, you can, you can sense it by fingertip feel uh, really quickly, but it, but for the rank and file people, they don't necessarily see it until they start to get things done that they would not have expected they would have gotten done because you're forcing them to put the big rocks in first. And that's not a skill that really comes easily, I don't think, to anybody, but I think entrepreneurs kind of, we force ourselves to learn it. Um, but when we lead other people, I think it's one, it's one of the hardest things to teach is that you yeah. have to put the big rocks in first and the little the, yeah. the pebbles will get done but yeah. they're less important. So even if they, even if some of them don't get done, it's still better to get the rocks done first. It is, it is. Well, and, and the, you know, the alternative is that you get distracted by all the hundreds of little pebbles, your email, your meetings, you know, someone pops into your office, you know, before you know it, it's nine o'clock at night and you haven't even, you know, started on that big rock. And so it, it just gives you a focus and a cadence to make sure that the priority for every, you know, weekly leadership meeting, for instance, is always to start with the rocks and not, not let yourself or your team get distracted by the, by the little pebbles. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. All right. Third big wisdom, accountability. Wisdom. I'm excited about this one. Yeah. This is a big one for me. This is yeah. where I, I end up spending a lot of my time in my coaching work. So work and live accountably. And, um, you know, to me, this is, this is kind of where it, it all really happens. At the end of the day, it's about people meeting deadlines, achieving objectives, building trust. This is not, this is, there's no silver bullet here. This is about, and, and to me, it's, it's about more than integrity, which is you doing what you, you say you'll do, which is important. Yeah. And I think integrity is certainly part of accountability, but to me, accountability, it's, it's, more, it's more than that because it's two-way to me. So you should be, you should be, we should all be held accountable for our responsibilities, but I think we should also be able to hold others accountable for their responsibilities. And I think that's where these really high-performing cultures uh, you know, really set themselves apart from the number two, the number three players. So, you know, holding your manager accountable for supporting you with resources and decisions that you need and, and holding leaders and owners. We talked about the rocks and what the business goals are. It's very reasonable that as an employee, uh, you know, or, or, a, or a business leader that's working for a business owner, you should be able to hold them accountable for, you know, asking things like, what does success look like? Um, and, and what, you know, being able to ask about the, the company and how it's performing, 
uh, having the company run in a really transparent way, both financially and ethically. Mm-hmm. And so I think this idea of integrity being about do what you say you're going to do and accountability being more about this two-way trust and, and really holding each other accountable for your responsibilities, to me, that, um, that really sets the excellence apart from, from just great. Yeah, and the funny thing about that, and I love the the describe description of accountability as two way. The way that it hits me is it reminds me of what I see, especially in companies with a strong entrepreneurial leader, where they've mm-hmm. got somebody in the operations role, where it used to be all them, and now they've got somebody to handle the operations, and now they've kind of they've they've pulled themselves a little bit out of the business, and now they expect someone to be accountable to them but they forget about the other side of the the accountability equation and they don't want to be held accountable to give that person what they say they're going to do. So that, and that can be, what's weird about it is it can show up in, in the tiniest things being two, two or three minutes late to a meeting where you expect them to be early, but you're late. Like that erodes the stuff over time. Yeah. Well, and what I, you know, it, it's an, it's, it's not an, it's not an unnatural thing for a, a business leader who's an entrepreneur who's now got their operations person to kind of, you know, forget that they've, they've still got to kind of be on their A game and be a role model and be accountable to other people. So what, what it requires is that other people around that entrepreneurial business leader hold that business leader accountable. Yeah. So I'll give you a great example. I was in a meeting not too long ago and it was the business leader and it was the head of marketing. We're talking about a product launch and the business leader had expectations that were far beyond the capacity of this person's, you know, of any one person's ability. Yeah. Are you going to do this, 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 and this? And there are all these things that, that they had an expectation about in terms of this product launch and the person you know, you could tell that they were just defeated before they had even started, but they didn't speak up. Yeah. And they say, wait a second, you know, let's talk more about what the highest priorities are because I have a concern that I might not be able to get all this done. And so if as a, as a person, if, you know, as a, say in this case, a leader of marketing, if you, if you don't speak up and you, you know, then, then you basically are signing up for an unreasonable set of tasks that that entrepreneurial business leader is expecting you to do. And you've just completely set yourself up for failure in, you know, and so it's just kind of a, it's a no win situation. The entrepreneur ends up being frustrated. Mm -hmm. The marketing leader ends up being, you know, feeling like a failure when you just, it just, it takes confidence. It takes um, bravery and some courage to be able to be that person to speak up to that entrepreneurial leader and really just have a, a frank discussion about what's reasonable. And uh, that's what I see where that breakdown is. When you get that entrepreneurial leader that starts to have a team around them, mm-hmm. you don't have the team holding the leader accountable and really having honest, hard discussions about what's, what's reasonable. Well, yeah, because that's, first of all, it's hard to teach and it's hard to hire unless you happen to hire someone who is a natural entrepreneur and will stand up to you because they're obsessed with the result. Man, that's hard to, it's hard to find. It's expensive when you find it. Um, So in the absence of that, because we can't count on that, the way that I think about it is it all rolls back to me. 
If I create an environment where my staff can't come to me and say, look, you, you need to tell me what is number one and number two and number three priorities, and I might not get to number three. If I create that environment where they don't say that until things fall apart, that's my fault. That's, that's absolutely right. I do view that it's two-way. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important for entrepreneurial leaders to create that environment, the environment of trust, the environment at True. We, we actually had of our five characteristics, um, you know, of a strong leader at True, one of them was, you know, being able to admit mistakes. Mm -hmm. And so in order for an employee to feel comfortable admitting mistakes, you've got to create an environment where they they know that they're not going to, you know, they're not going to in any way be punished for that, that they're going to be listened to, understood and supported to, you know, move from that mistake and, and, uh, and try to learn from it. Yeah, agreed. And, and it's, it's taken me a while to understand how to admit mistakes and failure openly and yeah. separate it out from self-esteem, self-confidence I think yeah. that's where as leaders, we have to lead people and help them make that, that same kind of separation. Cause I think that's where a lot of that, that cover up and shame. It's, comes that's from. the bravery and courage part mm -hmm. yeah. and the confidence part. It takes confidence and courage to, to do that. And, you know, one of the hardest things for me early on um, when we, when I, when I co-founded true and we had clients was, you know, it's one thing to admit a mistake to a colleague or your boss but it was it was tough to admit a mistake to a client. Yeah. And and at the same time, our motto at True is trust drives results. And that's really the founding of the company name, True Marketing. And uh, I'll tell you, it just it that's exactly what it did. And that's exactly what it does with with among any any two individuals. When you admit mistakes, you you build trust because yeah. you know you're not trying to hide something. You are showing courage, uh, you're showing uh, humility, and those things go a long way in, uh, in ultimately building high-performing teams. Love it. Well, I will have one more question just about the strategy of the, uh, of the book and stuff like that. Before we get to that, where can people learn more about you and Rive specifically, and who, who should reach out to you? Yeah, so um, my new company, Rive, uh, it's kind of a mix of Rebecca and advisement um, and also the tagline, Realize Your Vision. You can find my new company at rivevisor.com uh, or on LinkedIn, Rebecca Geyer. I'm, I'm there uh, as well, of course. Um, and what was your second question? Uh, oh, who, who, should who should be reaching out? You know, so my, my niche is engineering uh, business leaders. That could be the actual entrepreneurial owner. Those, that's a lot of who I work with. But I also find, um, I, I'm also, because of my background in marketing, working a lot with CMOs and, uh, and people who are leading marketing at engineering companies. Mm. Um, so that's kind of bridging job. that gap between the marketer who is the marketing professional and the engineers who are usually leading sales and leading the company um, and so it's just a, a really nice fit for me there to, to really be that support for, for both, but primarily for the marketing leader. 
Yeah, I, I love it because I, it's, man, the, the, the illusion that the better product wins is extremely hard to break in the general public. It's even harder to break in an engineering focused company. Um, a company actually just had me come in and we did like a live podcast from their, from their software office here a couple of weeks back. And I was chatting with their CMO behind the scenes and he's a big fan of the book Marketing Warfare. I'm like, okay, good. You've got, you've got your, your <laughs> proverbial stuff together. You know, you know what's going on. You know what the real game is. Because, uh, yeah, that, that's such a great book for breaking illusions like that. Um, but final question for you was just on the, for those that are considering, just because a lot of other listeners and, and you know, um, the audience for the podcast is a lot of fellow coaches and consultants and yeah. agency owners maybe making the jump into coaching and consulting. Uh, obviously, you've gone through the process of writing a book. It was very focused. It was a lead generating and positioning book for the firm. Uh, yeah. what, was, what was the strategy and what did you like and not like just about the process of releasing the book? Well, um, I don't recommend writing a book for anyone who doesn't like to write. And that may sound like a, a simple thing, but um, it, is, it, is a, it is a very solitary, it can be a very solitary process. Um, and, and it's really kind of just you and the screen. So, so loving writing, I think for, at least for me, that, that really helped to get me through. But having, you know, it's, it's kind of like my second big wisdom, have very clear objectives and a simple process to measure your progress. I took that same approach with the book. I, I defined my primary reader and every, everything I wrote was very focused on that primary reader. I actually had, you know, like a, a persona definition, you know, I was going to say kind of a picture yeah. uh, of that reader. And that really grounded me in um, even starting with my introduction all the way through and then having a very methodical approach. So I, I wrote out the chapter, uh, each chapter. I really thought about the flow and I outlined every single chapter and then started to fill in, uh, you know, the details and, and actually started to get to the writing. I also had a timeline that I held myself to and, uh, you know, I missed it by a couple months, but, um, but that was good. It was good to have a timeline that I was really holding myself accountable to. And uh, I was able to do it in about a year from, the very first meeting with, um, you know, reviewing my, my structure of my primary reader and my outline or my chapters, you know, one through 12, all the way to the FedEx truck showing up at my driveway and delivering my books in boxes. Mm, that's so a good day. Pretty sweet. It was a sweet feeling. <laughs> I had a cocktail that day. <laughs> I'll bet you did. <laughs> I am I'm very much looking forward to that day. I can, I can picture it in my mind. I can, I can picture the feel of what my book is going gonna, is gonna to feel like when I pull it out of the box. You, so, it's the great, I'll tell you, there, it's hard, hardly a better day in a, in a professional, in your professional career than uh, I actually filmed it when the FedEx guy showed up. Really? And, uh, yeah, I had, I had to, I had to ha have it for the archives, but, but awesome. opening that first box and pulling that book out and seeing it, uh, it's hardly, uh, hardly something you can compare to. Yeah, You're going to do great. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, Rebecca. Thank you so much. The, the three big wisdoms were incredible. There was so much more that we could have talked about and, and maybe we'll have to do another, another uh, conversation awesome. some other time. Cause yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. We got some really good deep concepts in, but also super actionable uh, and yeah. basically clear objectives and a simple process that yeah. that's something anybody can take away and applies to, to really anything. So I appreciate that. Cool. I'm happy to be here. This is great. Now I believe that clarity releases energy. 
So I hope that this episode creates clarity for you by laying out a path forward in your business. Now, if you're interested in starting a podcast like this to help you break into a new industry or to establish yourself as an authority in a niche market, let's talk. We have a complete done for you podcasting service. Uh, that is my agency that I'm building and growing. And I'd love to talk to you about what we can potentially do for you. You can learn more at pursuingresults.com to get a sense of what our service is all about. And if you're ready, if you're really seriously thinking about starting a podcast, I'm happy to brainstorm your ideas and talk about the positioning of your podcast within the market, something that you can take away whether we end up working together or not. So you can grab a time on my calendar for a podcast brainstorm call at bookjohnson.com. That is bookjohnson.com. I just want to thank you again for listening to the show, for leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes, and more importantly, for investing your time, your energy, your attention into the show. It really means the world to me that you would do that. So again, this is the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine, and we'll see you on the next episode.